BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. While so many things have become more efficient to produce and cheaper to buy, with houses, it's kind of the opposite. Amidst all the technological changes of the last decades, houses and apartment buildings still get built on site by a team of different people, as has been done for decades. Modular or prefab housing is an idea that many people over time have come to believe could revolutionize building, and it is possible. Scandinavian countries use it for 40% of their housing production. So what's holding up building houses in factories, especially when we have this crisis in affordability? That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This morning we're talking prefab housing, that is to say housing units built in factories. It's been a tough business historically, even though, in theory, there could be enormous efficiencies that could be captured by factory production. At least one Bay Area company has been making it work. Vallejo-based Factory OS has delivered close to 3,000 homes in the last five years, can now build up to 1,000 units a year. And we're joined this morning first by co-founder of Factory OS, as well as Holiday Development and Bridge Housing, Rick Holiday. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. We're also joined by Nick Gomez, Director of Modular Design and Construction at AO Architects. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we've got Dave Dauphiné, Associate Partner at McKinsey. He's been studying this kind of housing, co-authored the 2023 report, Making Modular Construction Fit. Welcome, Dave. Thank you for having me. So, you know, Rick, factory-built housing can kind of mean a lot of different things. Can we go through, are, are there differences between modular, prefab, manufactured, all that kind of stuff? Or is it all kind of the same thing? Well, there are differences that are important. I've been encouraging us all to think about factory-built housing because they're panelized uh, solutions, they're modular solutions, and there's, uh, there's even hybrids. And there's wood and there's metal uh, materials that are going in as a primary. So if you build something in a factory, you can build it more efficiently and more uh, with higher quality, but you have to standardize what your product is. That's, mm-hmm. that's why factories can build cars and these things at more reasonable prices. Mm-hmm. Nick, I mean, that is sort of the, the theoretical promise of module on the production side. From your perspective as you know, architect, someone working in, in that side of the business, what's the promise for you? 
you know, standardization, I think, is something that, you know, tends to be a benefit. You know, you you have to really be super efficient in the way you design. You know, modular buildings go together in a certain way, and there are certain design restraints you have to adhere to. So it really forces you to be efficient. When you're efficient in your design, it makes a project pencil better, you know. And so it's, I always tell people, whether or not you think you're going to go prefab, go ahead and make your project modular possible, design within those parameters, and it's very easy to demodularize the project afterwards. It's very hard to go the other way around if you're not sort of adhering to the design parameters that you need to for modular construction. I mean, do you feel restrained by that as an architect, though, like that there, that kind of standardization? No. I mean, you know, I always joke with my people in the office, like, there's no such thing as a kitchen or bathroom design. It's really the California Building Code, Chapter 11A or 11B. You're really adhering to the standards of the code. So so there's already code restraints. And I think that's one of the misconceptions that you can't design nice buildings with modular. And there's plenty of great buildings out there that have come out of factory OS and other factories. Yeah. So it's, it's not a problem for me as a designer. Yeah. Uh, Dave, uh, give us a little bit of history on this industry. I mean, I, what I have in my mind is like literally golden era Life magazine being like, we now build houses in a factory. Um, is there a difference between, you know, the stuff that was going on, you know, uh, in, in that era and what's happening now? There is. Of course, the advancements have come in the materials that are used and, you know, some of the highly efficient uh, manufacturing methods, of course. But you're right. Largely modular is a category of a type of construction that has been around for a while. And uh, unfortunately, it has always been forecasted with very rosy pictures for optimistic growth. Um, and it has not yet been able to live up to those. Hmm. I mean, in the U.S., right? In other places, it's worked just fine. That's right. You rightly pointed out that in Scandinavia, we see upwards of 40, 45 percent of new house construction is built in modular. Um, in Japan, you see over 15 percent. And in the U.S., we currently hover around 4 percent, unfortunately. And uh, we've also seen kind of year over year over the last several years, very optimistic growth, double digit forecast for growth um, that unfortunately haven't materialized. Hmm. So, um when I used to think of prefab housing, I used to think of manufactured homes, which I think a lot of people thought of as less good, I would say, where I, at least where I grew up in the exurbs. Um, is that the same thing we're talking about here? Uh, it's one of the categories. That's right. So prefab volumetric homes that are manufactured in a facility, brought in on a truck and, and um, put together on site. But there's many more categories of modular, as one of the other guests was mentioning. It can just be modular components, framing, panelized systems. Um, so it, it includes a broad category of construction. Cool. Rick, um, one of the things that has struck me as being different, right? I, I, when I thought of the manufactured homes of my youth, they were like a single building. They were, you know, uh, close to a trailer, I would say. Um, but what has been happening around here, right, are these large buildings in which the modular components, the sort of foundation is built, and then the modular components are kind of stacked atop it. Yeah, I think that what, what uh, we uh, had as a huge advantage at the factory is one of my first visit was Andrew Anagos, CEO of Autodesk. Autodesk incubated in the Bay Area in 1983. For those who don't know it, it's a $70 billion company that really is the leading edge of A&E innovation. Andrew came to the factory and he said, Rick, this is amazing. We want to invest. We want to help you t 
teach architects and developers how to standardize building types and put buildings together like Legos that are complicated Mm -hmm. because the old model of prefab homes clearly wasn't what we were talking about. We need high-density, high-quality buildings. And so we've had a very, very active partnership with Autodesk for the entire time we've been in business. And, you know, in in the style that you're talking about, right, what, what parts are still done on site and what parts kind of come in? Rick. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. um, I would say what parts are, are built. I'm sorry, forgive me. Yeah, on, on site, is it just, it's literally just laying the foundation? Um, no, no. That's when we're trying to sell it to somebody to be brutally candid. The reality is you have to usually skin the building, roof it, and landscape it, and obviously put the foundation in. You need to finish the hallways because you're putting the building together. So there's some interior work. All the connections for fire, water, sewer that are city-based are done. I would say this. We're getting better at doing the roof and the siding in the factory because the more that you can do then you do get to the optimal of you're just doing a foundation Hmm. and utility connections. Hmm. How'd you get into this? I'm a developer by by trade. I've been in the affordable housing space and then the the for-profit space. I just hit a point uh, when uh, in 2016 where I felt like I was chairing the bridge board at the time. Uh, Our costs at the bridge board meetings were sitting $800,000 per unit for an affordable home. And there isn't enough money to house enough people. I was building a project up in Lake Tahoe on a private basis where I didn't have a labor force. And it just became painfully obvious that if we didn't start building it differently, we weren't going to have any more housing. Mm -hmm. And I got an an encouraging word from Google that they said, if you start a factory, we'll be your first customer and we'll invest. And so that was a fateful day. You know, Dave, um, there have been other companies, a few startups in Northern California. People may remember Katera, which you know, got a, a ton of money. I think it took a, a billion dollars in, in funding when it was all said and done. Um, what's happened with those companies? It's a great question. The, of course, any number of reasons why a company of any kind, in particular modular, could, uh, could not be successful. But one area that we've seen that's consistent with Modular companies that are that are not succeeding is they appear to have a mismatch in their own value proposition. And what I mean by that is that they kind of undersell what's critically important to the market and what they actually provide to the market. Just two years ago, we were serving a, a modular company, and among the things we were asked to help them with was their value proposition. And the first thing we did was survey the design and the developer community across the U.S. where they worked and ask them what's most important to them. To the design and developers, unsurprisingly, it's on-time construction and on-budget construction. And all the green and sustainability benefits are tremendous, but they were were, um, after those two. And when you match that against the company we were serving, they were really touting a leading digital design and they thought of themselves as more of a tech company. And so what we see with a lot of companies that are not successful in this space is they tend to forget what industry they're in. It's funny. I guess that's the way you get a billion dollars of uh, funding, but it may not be the way that you uh, deliver your uh, projects that people actually want. Um, Nick, what's what's your experience been, you know, good and bad of trying to work within this uh, world? 
Yeah, it's, you know, good. You know, I want to say that there's just a lot of um, people in the industry that, you know, want to see the successes. People like Rick and, you know, a lot of factories that I've been able to work with, you know, they're, they're really trying to solve this problem of providing housing. Um, so, you know, I want to say there's a, it's a small network. It's very small. You know, you want to, you, there's architecture and there's people who do modular. You know, it's a small network here. Um, bad. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions when you go into cities that have never done modular. So, you know, going back to your talking about mobile homes, you know, I will have a structural engineer asking me how we're going to stack these mobile homes. And it's kind of like, no, that's not what we're doing here. Oh, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're specifically designed, engineered for the site, you know. Um, and, um, you know, beyond misconceptions with at the city level, just, you know, maybe having to deal with maybe inexperienced contractors who don't understand the complicated schedules that get involved um, and, you know, if, having problems on site, you know, that surround these things. So, you know, there are, there are things that can go wrong in a, in a project. Um, but for the most part, I've had good luck of having things go right. Are there places here in the Bay Area that you feel like have figured out how to, at least, you know, on a governmental level, like figured out how to slot in this kind of housing? Yeah, I, I want to say I've, I've been doing several projects in San Jose recently, and they've been pretty good about getting these approvals. And, you know, a lot of the work I've been doing is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So there are tax credit projects that require a, a specific timeline to get approvals. And so, you know, modulars are a little bit more complicated. You, you're taking a construction process and a, and a permitting process and you have to split it in half, right? Everything built in the factory is reviewed and approved by the state. Everything that's on site is reviewed and approved by the local. And then you have two construction processes. You have everything built in the factory, which is CA. And you may be doing CA before you even have any site work going on, which you typically are. So, you know, I want to say, you know, synchronizing those seems like a difficult process. It is um, complicated, um, but it's something that is doable. Yeah. We're talking prefab modular housing, how it's fared in the Bay Area with Nick Gomez, principal and director of modular design and construction at AO Architects. Rick uh, Holiday, co-founder of Holiday Development and Factory OS, which of course Factory OS builds these kinds of homes. And Dave Dauphiné, uh, associate partner at McKinsey, co-authored a 2023 report, Making Modular Construction Fit. Love to hear from you. If you have work you know, experience in home building or prefab, email us, forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about prefab modular housing, how it's fared in the Bay Area, how it could grow, problems it's had. Joined by Nick Gomez, Principal and Director of Modular Design and Construction at AO Architects, Dave Dauphiné, 
uh, associate partner at McKinsey, co-authored the 2023 report, Making Modular Construction Fit, and Rick Holiday, co-founder of Holiday Development and Factory OS. Um, we'd love to hear from you. I mean, do you live in a modular home? Do you live in a building that was put together in this way? What's your experience been like? Do you work in home building? Um, you can email us, form at kqed.org. You can call us, 866-733-6786. can go on any of the social media things where we're KQED Forum. Uh, so let's talk a little bit uh, about the specific ways that modular housing might fit into the housing picture. Um, from your perspective, Nick, like, what, what does this work best for? Yeah, uh, product types that um, have a lot of repetition. Uh, so you think of like hospitality, you know, hotel rooms. Um, they're usually double loaded corridors, so buildings like that. Um, uh, supportive housing, it's another project that's typically a lot of studios. So as Rick was mentioning, you know, you, if you have um, modules that are completely outfitted from the interior. You don't have to do much finish work, just the exterior of the building and the corridors. Mm-hmm. And then looking at other prototypes for, like, say, garden-style walk-ups where you might have, like, a building A and a building B that are repeating itself. Like, you're doing one design in that factory's building, you know, five of those buildings. So, you know, anything that involves a lot of repetition, it, mm. it's ideal for. Rick, you you agree with that? I Initially, yes. I think that... Um, the industry and and our factory is maturing to a point we can do something considerably more ambitious than that. But those projects are the best to start with and to build your base. Mm-hmm. We have a project that is um, going to be delivered, and the the factory's done its delivery. Two hundred and thirty five apartments in Oakland that will be moderate income housing, no no subsidies. It just uh, carries a property tax exemption. And the average cost per unit is $300,000 per door all in. And when it's finished, we'll, we'll b- take the trombones out and play the, <laughs> pl- play the flute. Uh, but, but, I think you need but, trumpets. Trombones, you yeah, know, I think of that as sad, the sad no, trombones. No, we need you know, trumpets. Yeah. For, thank you. Yeah, trumpet, uh, but yeah. but, but the, the, the point Nick's making is you – you need to design a building from the inside out. And a lot of people ask me, what does that mean? Um, you need to take an apartment that's, as Nick said, is a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. You can get a wonderful apartment. You can look at the floor plan and go, I like that unit. Then you can say to the customer if you're a factory, let's work with Autodesk on how to put 10 of those in this building. Then let's take some one-bedroom apartments that carry us basically a floor plan that's an apartment floor plan. So it's not a compromised or crummy plan. It's a and then the computers and the and the technology really can help you put a complicated building together, and then very importantly help you do a, a basically a material estimate in minutes rather than weeks, months, or years. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, we have it, the ability to tap into database on what would cost. Well, you can get an immediate draw. Once I show you a building, Alexis, here's 100 apartments based on the menu you gave me on this site. Here's what the materials cost. You, you couldn't do that mm-hmm. until recently. Mm-hmm. So you can take the pre-development process that's months and expensive and sometimes years and deal, deal with it in hours and days. Mm-hmm. Um, let's bring in, uh, let's go to Sam in San Francisco. Welcome, Sam. Good morning. Um, so I actually have a lot of experience in this. Um, uh, I, uh, I started, I left high school in 1993 teaching AutoCAD because I did, um, CAD in vocational school. And one of my first projects, um, that I had a desire to do out of school was to do 
modular housing um, within warehouses. Um, but I was a young kid, and it was the 90s, so hmm. it didn't work out. I've worked in uh, many architecture firms, designed a bunch of stuff in San Francisco, but I specifically like the idea of modular homes. I was trying to get the city of Alameda hmm. to allow uh, for building a modular home area, and the biggest, the biggest problem with that was the zoning laws prevented um, any lots being used for multifamily or multi-unit um, structures that had shared physical utility infrastructure. Hmm. So if you had a lot that was 2,000 square feet, and let's say you could put five tiny homes on it, they couldn't share electrical, water, um, uh, and sewer utilities because of the zoning laws, and that prevented you from, from using those facilities. Um, to your uh, um, yeah. guest yeah. point about using AutoCAD and, and BIM, um, a, lot of, a lot of things could be done in large commercial buildings that have uh, um, floor-to-deck heights that allow for you to put in uh, modified infrastructure in a raised floor type of environment, converting, converting an office building into something that's residential where you have to have additional plumbing and electrical for you know, regular utilities within a home. But, uh, well, Sam, let me um, ask you. Let me ask you this: Where do you think we are right now? Like in in terms of, you know, there seems like there's been a hype cycle that has you know uh, crested and receded, and now we're in uh, a new place. Like where where do you see us at? I, I think that we're in, we're we're late in taking advantage of the opportunities of using um, uh, companies like Carson Homes, which is a Berkshire Hathaway um, modular home uh, company. They've got uh, manufacturing facilities all over. Uh, the United States and in the Bay Area, um, one of the one of the largest um, uh, residential areas that they have for their modular homes is in Sunnyvale. is one of their most popular hmm. California markets, um, and they're selling modular homes that cost sixty thousand dollars to make for three hundred thousand dollars installed in the, in like that uh, Sunnyvale community. Hmm. Um, so there's just there's there's a lot of um, uh, resources that are just not that are just disconnected because we haven't looked at how to holistically use all the, all the resources and opportunities that we have around us. Yeah. So yeah. we should be leaning on Berkshire Hathaway's um, manufacturing home capabilities. We should be leaning on municipalities to, to allow their zoning laws to, be, uh, to accommodate um, uh, smaller units on single properties, shared infrastructure such as um, power, sure. sewer, and, um, uh, um, and technology uh, complements. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, also, yes, BIM modeling with um, with building materials being output um, is super easy. Um, they do it for uh, you. You can even have um, uh, programmatically designed um, uh, uh, facilities, you know, being built by computer and just having yeah. it spit out a whole um, building materials. But really, it's it's about getting the zoning laws fixed so that we don't have. Um, these same uh, problems over and over. The reality of yeah. The hey, Sam. Thank, thanks uh, for that. Appreciate your passion about this uh, about this topic. Rick wanted to chime in here. Thanks, Sam. Um, I would say uh, Sam's made a, a, a good point, and uh, on the hopeful front, the state of California has really um, taken a long, deep, hard look at at this whole business, and the Strategic Growth Council, which is a big part of the state's policy board. Uh, unanimously passed a resolution that said more factory housing is a must for the state to meet its goals. And they're basically putting a lot of encouragement on cities to get engaged in solving some of the problems that Sam was describing in Alameda. So I, I, I think things are changing. Yeah. Yep. You know, one of the things that um, I'm going to ask you, Dave, is, you know, the building industry has enormous uh, labor 
um, needs as well as you know labor power. There's a lot of powerful uh, the trades that are that are involved here. What's their response been to this kind of uh, work? It's been mixed, of course. There's a healthy degree of uh, concern about a new ty- any new type of construction when an industry's been working in wood and concrete for you know for decades, as you pointed out. But I think you're onto something here, which is that one of the main drivers of the success and the potential for modular is actually the, the labor shortage that, ex- that exists in much of the municipalities across the U.S. And generally what we see is modular units are a less labor intensive type of construction to build in addition to all of the advantages on cost. And so as we work with clients to answer that type of question, you know, how do we address labor unions in particular? What we encourage them to think about is that um, you know, far be it from us to actually shape policy or predict where it's going to go. Um, but this is a solution that actually provides an enormous degree of labor savings per unit sold. Um, and that's attractive to any city, regardless of their um, the union affiliation. Hmm. Um, Rick, how did it go for you? Because didn't you guys, as I recall, you started Factory OS as a unionized shop, but just with the carpenters. Is that right? That's correct. Um, the carpenters, which are the largest, I think they make up 70% of the uh, construction labor force, uh, engaged actively to negotiate an agreement and to be our partner. And they've been a great partner. Um, it, you, you can't have a factory, though, that has multi-union representation because uh, the, the best way it was described to me is we wouldn't have cars built if we had a windshield wiper installers union. You, you need to get the building trades to organize about how to build a home in a factory efficiently. And that's what the carpenters did with us. Love to hear from folks out there. If you're uh, in one of the trades, uh, give us a call. You can, uh, 866-733-6786 if you worked with this kind of housing. You can also email us forum at kqed.org. We're kind of talking about the Bay Area's experience uh, of prefab and modular uh, building. Um, Holly writes, one of our listeners, I want to shout out Plant Prefab, California-based, been building sustainable modular homes for years. It's important uh, that all construction be as sustainable as possible. Um, Over on the Discord, our digital community, Summer writes in, we just saw a huge modular construction project come up on Stanford campus that created hundreds, if not thousands, of student housing units. The units were com- uh, completed insanely quickly for what giant buildings they are. They're not the most original looking, but I'm sure the efficiencies were worth it for uh, Stanford. Let's go uh, to, you know, um, let's go to Duff in Berkeley. Welcome, Duff. Oh, hey, guys. How are you? Um, yeah, I just wanted to chime in a little bit. I'm a local builder. I've done stick builds. I've done some modular builds. Uh, recently was a part owner in a company building ADUs, modular ADUs, out of repurposed shipping containers. And I recently sold that business. Uh, You know, we just weren't able to make it pencil out on a single unit uh, type of situation. You know, I I think the modular space is better suited to, you know, 100-unit, 50-unit buildings where you can, you know, realize some of those efficiencies. Mm-hmm. We kind of lost the efficiencies on shipping and craning the units, you know, yeah. single units. Yep. Uh, that's, that's all I have to say. Hey, Duff, really appreciate that point. Nick, I'm going to come to you on this. Um, when we were looking to put it in ADU, we also looked at, you know, these kind of solutions and 
um, it was. It was like the craning and there's trees and utility lines that didn't like have it work out. What's your take on the ADU? Uh, that's for for those who are not familiar. You know, accessory dwelling unit. Um, you know, back, back houses, casitas in in uh, all around. Yeah, I think that's as the caller mentioned. It's kind of a tough thing to kind of do, right? Because you're you're not getting the repetition. You're not having you know, 50 clients order 50 ADUs and you have a, a pipeline to kind of build, right? You know, you've got to have one here, one there. And, yeah. and uh, you know, but yeah, it, it isn't a, f- you know, you could go and you could see what finishes. They typically have a model there. A lot of cities actually have um, pre-approved designs that are by these man- modular manufacturers. So, you know, you go and you like, I like this floor plan, you know? So um, I think it is something that, you know, has a little bit of promise, but people need to figure out how to get that backlog or, you know, or they need to build something else and have ADUs filled a pipeline, you know, when the line, you know, has an opening. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's bring in Stu and Sebastopol with a really uh, interesting question on kind of the mortgage implications here. Stu, welcome to Forum. Yeah, how you doing? Um, so I remember I was looking at uh, doing a blue home um, what, some what, what, years ago. A blue home? So yeah. It, it, it was a manufacturer, oh, okay. modular got home. Got it. So, so I was looking at it, I was looking more generally at building. Um, so buying land and then building a uh, house instead of buying a house already built. And one of the things that I, one of the reasons we didn't do it was the whole mortgage implication of having to both get a construction loan, which is higher uh, and uh, higher rates, worse terms. Then you've got to convert it to uh, a traditional mortgage post-building. And I recall that one of the attractive things about the modulars was that uh, your time for construction was potentially less. So you would hold that construction loan for a shorter period. What I'm wondering is, has anybody started looking at packaging uh, both the construction of a modular home and the financing of it to take advantage of that element so that they could hmm. sell it to people who are doing raw land construction as a, you know, look, not only are these cost savings here, but we, you know, packaged for you um, that initial construction loan and maybe even the conversion. Yeah, that's interesting, Stu. I mean, Dave, how about you? Have you, uh, in you know, you're working at McKinsey. Have you run across any any companies are trying to fit in in this way? This type of financial innovation is actually an exciting part. It's a really exciting part of the modular industry. This specific um, circumstance, I haven't come across kind of bundling mortgage loans for the actual buyer. But one thing we have seen is that modular companies are getting creative on how to finance construction costs. Typically, if they're building a low to mid-rise residential building, there's a large bond that needs to be put forth to protect the cost of the building in the event of any sort of issue with the construction. And what we've seen is that some modular companies, because they have a manufacturing base and then, of course, a construction base, they will actually be able to split a bond such that they bond the the actual manufacturing. And once that's complete, then they set a new bond for the actual construction, essentially cutting in half the bond burden that they have to carry through the cost. It's just one example, um, but it is an area of innovation that the modular community, I think, is really leading the most in across construction. Rick, um, anything that you have encountered in financing the bigger buildings that has either been you know, more difficult to uh, do in factory built housing or or easier for whatever reason? 
Uh, well, I'll, I'll just take a quick moment. I think Clayton Homes, which is a Berkshire Hathaway company, mm-hmm. I believe they pack uh, package financing with their modular homes. Uh, um, so that's a hopeful yeah. sign if they are. That's that's the right kind of company to do that. On the issue of uh, challenges, the, uh, Dave's point about bonding is true. One of the biggest difficulties for the work that we've been doing is to get bonds because the industry's new and there's been a lot of uh, bumpy air with the pandemic and other companies failing. Uh, we've just secured a bonding relationship that we think will take us forward and allow us to really scale. But it's taken five or six years of headbanging to get there. And so the bonding issue is very challenging because the customer wants the financial security of not being left in the lurch like some of Katera's customers were. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, earlier, Nick, we had um, someone write in about a shipping container company, Spiral. Another listener writes to say, I'm a builder, works at a barrier company called Urban Block, use shipping containers as a base, build in a warehouse out of the elements. I love the durability and modular nature of shipping containers when our units go out, the electrical, plumbing, and water are already installed. Site work is done simultaneously for the foundation and utilities, shortens the building schedule, and minimal building waste. I've heard different things about shipping containers as kind of a base material. Of course, you know, I've made a whole podcast about containers. I love them. Nothing against them. But, I, but I've heard they're actually kind of difficult to work with in some ways. Yeah. Um, I haven't really, you know, I've studied some of those with factories. I haven't really worked in that sphere. And when I have, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult to kind of have a living space that's eight feet wide. Like, that's kind of really too narrow. Um, when I've sort of try to design a few projects to try to get, like, you can't really get an accessible bathroom in an eight-foot wide unit. Right, so right. trying to do it for supportive housing, you got to do, you need more modules to kind of create the living spaces. But um, repurposing shipping containers, yeah, it's, it's, it's housing. We are talking about prefab modular housing, how it's fared in the Bay Area and the sort of financing and other models that it needs to grow along with it. Uh, joined by Nick Gomez, Principal and Director of Modular Design and Construction, AO Architects. Rick Holiday, co-founder of Holiday Development and, of course, Factory OS. Also co-founded Eden Housing and Bridge Housing. We're also joined by Dave Dauphiné, uh, Associate Partner at McKinsey & Co., who co-authored the 2023 report, Making Modular Construction Fit. Been really enjoying um, some of your calls with people with you know knowledge of this space. Uh, are you working around you know prefab or modular homes? You can email us, form at kqed.org, or give us a call, 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about prefab modular 
housing, how it's fared in the Bay Area. Joined by Dave Dauphiné, associate partner at McKinsey, wrote a 2023 report making modular construction fit. Rick Holiday, co-founder of Factory OS, which has built 5,000, Rick, is that what it is? Uh, 3,000, sorry, 3,000. Um, also joined by uh, Nick Gomez, Principal and Director of Modular Design and Construction at AO Architects. Let's bring in another call here. Let's go to uh, Alex in uh, San Rafael. Um, hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so I have, a, I have a bit of experience site-built homes. Uh, so I'm a, a manufacturing engineer by trade in the automotive industry. So we, uh, you know, we live and die by tolerance analysis, quality control, process control, uh, process capability. And uh, so there, I think, is the inherent, like, clear inherent advantage to a modular built home. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the uh, I've also built um, several houses as a side hustle. I'm on uh, house number seven now. We're in the planning stage over the last 20 years. It's quite a side hustle. Quite a side hustle, Alex. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's been a lot of work, but it's very rewarding, too. Um, so uh, one observation is that a modular home has a very expensive factory that is needed to build it um, and very expensive tools needed to uh, assemble it, whereas a site-built home, the workers provide the tools and the landowner provides the site. Um, so there is an inherent disadvantage that uh, modular homes are always going to face. Um, so I think it, it ties into what your caller earlier from Berkeley said where you need a certain economy of scale to justify the logistics, such as a crane access, and also that your uh, caller from Sebastopol noted where you need an economy of scale to the financing, mm-hmm. uh, because a single one-off mortgage you know, from your local credit union, you're not going to be able to work it out. So I was wondering if, if your industry had done a study to understand like exactly where that X-intercept is, where at a certain size you have, you know, all day you do the modular, and below that forget it, go site build. Hmm. And I'll take your comments offline. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Alex, really uh, appreciate that perspective as a manufacturing engineer. Um, who wants to take this one? Maybe, Dave, let's let's ask you uh, about that. Yeah, the specific, that's a great question. What is the specific intercept uh, where a, a modular company doesn't, a modular solution no longer uh, competes cost-wise? Obviously, it's going to vary by where and what type of modular. So, um, but I will say that the one thing we've seen is that companies, modular companies, and Rick Rick knows this well, that are investing in the power of partnership to build out a pipeline of projects are going to be the winners as they look ahead in, the, in 2024, 2025. And so that means partnering effectively with designers and developers community, looking at housing units, not just as a single unit, but as a development complex, single multifamily homes uh, are a category, as well as low-to-rid mid-rise residential, partnering with schools like Stanford, for instance. This is where the commercial aspect of modular is, is creates the winners and losers. The ones that really invest in the power of partnership creates that pipeline. Hmm. The other benefit to partnership that we've seen is actually at the individual project level. Working with a client not two years ago, we noticed that as they increase their level of partnership with the same GC, their projects with strong levels of partnership had a 20 percentage point increase in pro- project profitability. And so all that learning about design, about what sort of site laydown area is required, conversely, the designers and developers learning about how to tailor their design perfectly for modular, 
that happens over the course of a working relationship that's built. That's where you see high, high margin and a long pipeline of projects for modular in the future. Um, let's go, let's like flip around our perspective to the consumer side here. Let's go to John in Santa Rosa. Welcome. Hi, uh, thanks. I, um, uh, wife and I are considering an addition to our home. It's a stick built one story home. And I was wondering if there would be, uh, what would be the the benefits to to considering modular prefab prefab to build the addition? Yeah, cool, John. No, appreciate it. Uh, Nick, walk us through if you could. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, as uh, Dave was mentioning, you know, partnership. So you know, finding you know the right team, the right factory. You know, there's not a lot that do single family here in the Bay Area. You know, so you know, and you got to think about it like a single family home. It's kind of a snowflake, right? You know, factories don't want snowflakes; they want ice cubes. You know, you, you got want some repetition there. So, yeah. um, you know, if you, you do your research, there are. Um, you know, people that do single-family homes. I work in the multifamily industry, so I'm not sort of well-versed in that single-family realm. So, um, But, yeah, just do your research, find a good company, interview them, yeah. you know, talk to multiple companies. That's kind of your best bet. Yeah, I think uh, a Bodu based in Redwood City, uh, someone that we came across in the research for the show, um, and that might might be able yeah. to at least talk to you about it. Uh, yeah, John. check, like as you were pointing out, Alexis, you know, you, you need to – you know, make sure that you can get a truck that has the module to your site. You need to make sure you don't have overhead power lines. There's got to be a place for the crane. So, yeah. you know, there's logistics that need to be looked at, too. So all those things that, you know, check the boxes, whether or not modular makes sense. Yeah. Uh, another listener writes, um, we lost our house to the Nuns Fire in Sonoma County in 2017. Although we had good insurance, it proved inadequate to replace our traditional stick-built house. Ultimately, we settled on a factory-built house since all the architectural plans were established. We only had to decide on aesthetics. We also had to provide all the site preparation, engineering foundation, and infrastructure. It took about two and a half years from the day of the fire until we were able to take occupancy and were delighted uh, with the house. Um, I want to get back into some of the kind of I guess I want to say municipal. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where the opposition comes from, but let, let's say it's like municipal opposition. Um, you know, in the Chronicle, Mayor Breed's administration stated publicly, I think this was in 2022, that they don't encourage uh, modular construction. And a listener tweets in, adds in, I was part of the design team on a large housing project in San Francisco. I heard folks on my team say that the building trade unions did not like this type of construction because it was taking work away from them. Uh, any of your guests heard of this argument? Um, Rick, I guess I'll, I'll come to you on this. Um, you know, Mayor Breed's team in the Chronicle basically was like, well, we just don't think that it works all that well. <laughs> um, they didn't they didn't say, you know, yeah. uh, we're opposed to it because of the, the labor concerns. They said, you know, we feel like it, it it's not working. So what, what do you think? Well, uh, I'm glad I'm not running for mayor. Uh, <laughs> but the, it, there is a there is a real political schism. Uh, in San Francisco with, with a very, very strong, uh, well-organized union force. I've always just said back in, in some exchanges with some of these folks where we're, they're civil and we're trying to find a solution is when housing is hitting 800000 to a $800, million a unit, we only have a certain amount of money and a lot of people that need housing, do they have an idea? I don't as, uh, ascribe that we've got the only solution. But I think it's about partnering, as Dave said. The carpenters were willing to step up and partner. And I think, you know, I've talked to Mayor Breed a little bit. I think she's open to it. I think she's in a political bind uh, 
that's difficult because there's very strong political forces working against this. I will say, on the converse, um, as it relates to the fire, uh, about a week after the Lahaina fire, mm. um, the CEO of Factory OS, Kevin Brown, received a phone call directly from the governor of Hawaii. He was on a plane the next day. He walked the site with the governor, who was conferring with the White House directly. And uh, the factory secured two very large orders uh, just last week. And it will likely open up the uh, uh, probably likelihood of building thousands of units and perhaps having to open Hmm. a factory uh, there. So you look at the Strategic Growth Council, you look at Hawaii immediately looking to this as a solution because they're labor constrained, material constrained. It fell right in. And now the industry is maturing, to Dave's point. It's a hard business to break in. There's a lot of things to, to, to go against it, but there's a lot of people making a lot of progress, and we have to, salu- we have to come up with a better way to build a house. <laughs> I just think everybody agrees with that. Yeah. Um, let's go to uh, Alan in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, a previous caller uh, mentioned about the uh, expense, the expense uh, or the high upfront capital costs, like expensive factories mm-hmm. for these um, modular houses. And I was curious if there is any either California initiatives or national initiatives to sort of like finance slash bootstrap this industry. Um, I feel like the there is like similar uh, investment in the uh, green energy sector with mm-hmm. like uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, Build Back Better, et cetera. And I, I'm curious if this is something we I that I should be talking to my representatives about of like, mm-hmm. hey, you guys should do this. Right, like so. the kind of deployment funds that started to, to flow through instead of just kind of R&D things and energy, it started to go like, no, really, put the, put the concrete and steel in. Um, that's a great exactly. question, uh, Alan. Um, Dave, maybe we'll, we'll start with you and, and maybe Rick knows the state situation. Yeah, unfortunately, there's it doesn't feature prominently in a wide swath of subsidies. And in fact, a lot of the European market penetration, particularly in the Nordics, is attributed to some pretty substantial government assistance in both the development and deployment of this of the technology for building. Hmm. Um, but that's not to say there's not growing and strong interest among public sector leaders in supporting the build of this. Cities like Philadelphia, for instance, are really capturing the benefits of rapidly built urban housing to support um, uh, much of the folks that are unhoused. And as we think about a city like San Francisco, essentially all of the criteria that a typical modular solution brings to the table fit perfectly in the Northern California um, environment. And so that's not just a faster construction time and oftentimes a cheaper one. But it allows for um, earthquake resilience in, with panelized modular components the way stick-built homes don't, um, fire suppression, insulation that's just hot, that's just higher quality for hot summers, and of course the sustainability benefits. And so I guess I would answer the question by saying that we don't see a, a strong degree of uh, federal and national level subsidies poured towards this, um, but we suspect that this solution will gain more attention among uh, federal partners that are eager to, to subsidize the solution here. Carol writes in to say, uh, to this point, you know, I live in a modular home in New Hampshire half of each year. Lots of modular homes here because the building season's so short. Our modular homes, well insulated, very sturdy, very economical, better than my home in California, which costs five times as much. 
you know, you'll have plenty of insulation for the cold uh, summers of San Francisco. Um, let's uh, let's bring in a Charity in uh, San Francisco. Welcome. Hi. Yes, I'd just like to say I really support uh, modular homes. I mean, they are eco-friendly and they're less expensive. And we should be doing this because we have something like 800,000 homeless people in America or in California. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, our residents need homes and we need them less expensive. Um, we just finished a, a two-year build which shouldn't have taken two years. It was a finishing out a really easy basement and moving a bathroom. Mm-hmm. It took 18 months and $1.2 million. That's, that's ridiculous. Oh it's ridiculous. <laughs> the trades want it to be expensive. If we're doing it in factories, it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be well inspected. Quality controls are going to be there. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be spending this much on our homes. We should be spending more money on life. Yeah. Hey, Charity, um, appreciate, appreciate that perspective. I mean, how how are people thinking about we've have we have kind of this gap between kind of tiny homes which are being deployed uh, you know for unhoused people to create you know kind of a, a immediate living spaces with a door um, then we have Rick what you were referencing earlier which are a bunch of uh, affordable housing units which are going in and which you know we've heard many times in the show you know cost between eight hundred thousand even a million dollars in some places for an affordable housing unit all the way in. Um, is this kind of the middle path? Is this a, is this something that can work like that? And I think you know even more than the environmental benefits, it seems like that would be the thing that would drive people to to get behind this uh, in a big way. What, what do you think, Rick? Well, to the point that the Strategic Growth Council, who's really leading the state's policy on this, they've come to that conclusion. Uh, on the federal front, you know, where the, the to the point about what, can government support factories because. The, the, the Scandinavian example that Dave mentioned is true, is that the factory has gotten some visits from people that uh, are overseeing some large sums of money that, that are possible to fund and finance factories for housing. The problem we have is that everybody understands chips and the need to build chips here. So guess what? We start building chip factories with governmental support. Same true with solar. We've had mixed results, some good. Housing, it hasn't quite hit yet, but it's on the cusp. Mm. So I think what I'm reporting is the five or six years we've been beating our head against the wall and surviving the recession and, and the pandemic is starting to pay some benefits. The, the industry's moved and the government's gotten closer. Mm. Um, let's bring in uh, Kent in Berkeley. Appreciate all these calls this morning. Kent, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Um, just want to get... Uh, some feedback on what the industry looks like, you know, in the next five to 10 years, there have been a lot of uh, companies who have tried to get into the, the uh, modular space, but they've been started more as a startup uh, with, you know, really smart tech people uh, and lots of VC money behind them, but they don't know how to, you know, exist as, construction building companies. So I'm just curious, I know, you know, with what Factory OS is doing on Mare Island and some of the other ones who've been in the business for a while, what is, you know, what does it look like for companies going forward? Yeah. Uh, Dave, what do you think? He's right. And he's absolutely right. And it's to the point I mentioned earlier, um, the innovative tech design and the AI generated um, solutions and this, you know, innovative new type of material that's used in the panel is very attractive to VC investors and to the investor community because it's proprietary and it's new and it's different. That resonates, that simply resonates less loudly to the GC, 
designer and developer community across the U.S. that's paying for these buildings and supporting these buildings going up. What they want to see and what, what Rick's team has really mastered is the hallmarks of the successful companies are based on their on-time and on-budget project completion. And oh, by the way, we have immense benefits in sustainability and uh, labor efficiency. So we do foresee growth in modular without a doubt. I think one of the interesting new levels of partnership that we'll see is going to be less on the national and global developer point of view and more on the city and state. Mm -hmm. And we've seen examples of this happening masterfully. Rick, painted a great picture of what was an implicit partnership that began after the Lahaina fire. I think that's uh, an area and a category of partnership that will really project modular uh, to achieve a lot of its ambitions in the future. Um, Nick, last question for you. Uh, listener writes in, Greg writes in to say, my old company, California Drywall, panelized interior and exterior wall panels primarily for commercial and healthcare projects, but the same can be done for multifamily and single houses. We ship the panels to the projects, flew them into place. This approach results in less site congestion, safer job site schedule certainty, better quality, faster installation. You also just don't need a full prefab factory. What do you think is kind of like a middle middle road there? Yeah, I mean, there's various types of modular construction. You know, I mean, that he's talking about panelized, so that means you're delivering components and pieces to the site. Um, versus what Rick does in the factory. That's volumetric modular. Mm-hmm. So volumetric modular, everything inside the unit, the kitchen, the casework's installed, the toilet's installed, the finishes are there. You know, they could hang a TV on a wall if it's <laughs> hospitality, right? So, you know, it's just, you know, how much work do you want to do on site? You know, and those are the things you have to study. Yeah. We've been talking about factory built, modular housing, how it fared in the Bay Area, how it could grow. Uh, been a great discussion with all of you out there. We've been joined by Nick Gomez, Principal and Director of Modular Design and Construction at AO Architects. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thanks for having me. Also been joined by Rick Holiday, co-founder of Factory OS, as well as Bridge Housing and Holiday Development. Thanks for joining us, Rick. My pleasure. We've also been joined by Dave Dauphiné, partner, associate partner at McKinsey, uh, co-authored the 2023 report, Making Modular Construction Fit. If you're interested in this conversation, you can go check out the report. Thanks for joining us, Dave. My pleasure, Alexis. Thank you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thanks again, everyone, for all your questions. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.